Wednesday, August 2nd. Welcome back to the Ion College Basketball Podcast. i got Matt Norlander with me, and it would be a relatively slow time for college basketball, if not for LeVar Ball and Mitchell Robinson, so thank God for them both. And let's start with uh, the big baller himself, because as much as people love to scream they're tired of LeVar Ball, uh, all of the metrics seem to suggest otherwise. The man has been a legit national topic of conversation for a solid week, uh, first uh, because of the scene he caused last Wednesday in Las Vegas, then because... He had a female official removed from a game in Las Vegas last Friday. Then because uh, the organization that provides referees for Adidas terminated its deal with Adidas because of LeVar Ball. That happened on Sunday. Then because Adidas acknowledged it was wrong to remove the female referee at the request of LeVar Ball. That happened on Monday. And then finally, most recently, because Michael Jordan said he could beat LeVar Ball in one-on-one with one leg on Tuesday. So let's start there, Norlander. Could a one-legged Michael Jordan really beat LeVar Ball in one-on-one? Uh, no, um, I think that's fairly obvious. I grew up an absolutely massive Michael Jordan fanboy, uh, but the man is on one leg, one and LeVar Ball, ha- in theory, in this scenario, has two, and is in relatively good shape for his age, by the way. So I think uh, if that was the case, <laughs> now that we're starting with such hard-hitting news, and actually, GP, let me just uh, bounce off what you had mentioned there, because I think we've both gotten a lot of this I talked with our good buddy Jeff Borzello with ESPN, who I was basically uh, walking in stride with out in Vegas on the LeVar Ball beat. Um, I I do hear and listen and take into consideration the fact that a lot of people are just, they say they're tired of this dude, and I bet a lot of people that listen to this podcast are. But there is also, we're in this weird, maybe it's not even weird, because honestly, LeVar Ball is not unique to the modern media experience. Um... When we write about him and when he is talked about, there is still a high level of engagement, whether that be uh, people wanting to stand up for LeVar, because he still has an army of supporters. Uh, There is certainly a militia of people that are against him in a big time way. And then there is kind of a separate faction of people that are just begging us to stop writing about this guy and giving him attention. Um, I do think that there will be some diminishing returns with LeVar as we head forward. Now, he's never going to fall off the radar because, honestly, LaMelo is compelling enough a kid, and maybe we'll get into his game and what we saw in Vegas at the end of this, by, before the end of this podcast. Uh, obviously, he's got uh, Jello, Leangelo, uh, who's the middle child, who's going to be at UCLA this season, and honestly doesn't have a game that projects uh, to be worthy of making the NBA, so he's probably going to be a four-year college player, and then Lonzo you know, it should be uh, an NBA player for years and years and years to come. So LeVar is going to constantly always be um, in the relative sports discussion. It's just a matter of, is he going to be a once a month story as opposed to a once a day story as we go forward? Uh, He's a complicated, he seems simple, but he's actually a complicated figure because as you wrote, uh, there are a lot of things you like about LeVar Ball. Um, If you were to ask me yes or no question, am I a fan? I would have to say no, because at this point, if I got to choose a side, I'm, I'm choosing the side of no because of uh, his misogynistic comments and leniencies and tendencies. I mean, I asked him personally, face-to-face, if he had any second thoughts or wanted to walk back his comments about the female official, and he said no. He said no second thoughts and then went on, and you can read the story uh, that has lengthy quotes from LeVar in that case. Um, but he also is taking all these kids from Chino Hills, and he is 
being a father and an AU coach. And he had a long rant about that that didn't even make my story that he went into detail. And what, what would these kids be doing? Where would they be if they didn't have structure, if they weren't playing in these tournaments, if they weren't getting to visit Las Vegas and playing all these other things? There's some validity to that, but there's also a bad message being sent when he basically is threatened twice in July to take his team off the floor. One time he actually did it. The second time, didn't do it because Adidas kowtowed to him. And then he actually got a second technical and then refused to leave the court. So I get it if you have LeVar Ball fatigue, but at this point there's still the interest in that and there is newsworthiness in what he says and does. Now, by exposing some of the things that he says, GP, in these comments that frankly are, are gross, unacceptable, and uh, really shine a light on, on some of his darker tendencies, um, I think we are doing uh, a public service by exposing what he is. Now, eventually, does this turn him into even more of a character of himself? Probably. Uh, but I just wanted to let listeners know, like, we hear you, but they're still undeniable. I mean, when you write a LeVar Ball story, it gets it still gets incredible value and traction. And it's not just shallow, materialistic LeVar Ball says he can beat Michael Jordan. I mean, we're talking about things he's revealing about his character. Um, and with that, there are major fallouts with this. I mean, a referees union that had worked with Adidas for a decade is now no longer going to do that. And it is specifically because of LeVar Ball. I mean, that's kind of incredible to me. And, you know, I'll kind of just toss it back to you here. I know I'm kind of just throwing everything out on the table there, but I felt it was our, our listeners were deserve something of an explanation as to why we continue to talk and write about him because we wouldn't do it if it did not inherently have some sort of news value, which like it or not, he still does. A lot of thoughts here. First thing, people keep imploring us to just ignore LeVar Ball and saying that, that, the, that the media would, would be better off if, if we all just left him alone. Uh, well, nobody ignores LeVar Ball. Shaquille O'Neal doesn't ignore LeVar Ball. Charles Barkley doesn't ignore LeVar Ball. LeBron James doesn't ignore LeVar Ball. Uh, Michael Jordan doesn't ignore LeVar Ball. I mean, it was amazing to see this Michael Jordan video. Because, and, and let me be clear, the general population doesn't ignore LeVar Ball. In other words, Michael Jordan's at this flight camp, right? And they get a Q&A with him. You can ask Michael Jordan anything you want to ask him. What's your favorite shot you ever hit? What's the best dunk you ever did? Oh, which Bulls team was the best? Do you think your best Bulls team would beat the Warriors? Uh, what's the best party you ever had with Dennis Rodman? How much? What's the most money you ever lost at a casino? Why weren't you as good at baseball as Tim Tebow? There's a million different things you could ask Michael Jordan. Somebody wanted to ask him about LeVar Ball. And then Jordan says, which, which by the way, I, I think that's telling. You got Michael Jordan in front of you, you can ask him anything. I want to ask him about LeVar Ball. I think that means something. Uh, then Jordan sort of backs his way into the comment by saying, it really doesn't deserve a response, but since you asked, I'll answer it. Which implies he's being polite, you can ask him anything, and he'll answer it. Which isn't true. You could ask that question, what's the most money you ever lost in a casino in one night? He wouldn't answer that. You could ask him what he thinks about Donald Trump. I bet he wouldn't answer that. So it's not like he has to answer every question, which is what he tried to imply. That's not true. He wanted to talk about LeVar Ball. That's why he answered the question. And then he makes the comment about I beat him one-legged, but he also goes into great detail. LeVar Ball played in college, never played in the NBA. He averaged 2.2 points per game. Michael Jordan knows how many points per game LeVar Ball averaged. That means Michael Jordan 
has been thinking about LeVar Ball. Michael Jordan can't ignore LeVar Ball. And I thought LeVar was perfect yesterday afternoon on a radio station in Cleveland because, of course, they take this back to LeVar. Because, of course, once Michael Jordan says that, guess what's the top headline on every national website in the country? Michael Jordan says he could beat LeVar Ball on one leg. So they ask LeVar Ball about this, and, and he sort of laughs, and he says, you know, when people used to have these debates about basketball players, it would be like, who was better, Wilt Chamberlain or Bill Russell? Who's better, um, you know, Kevin Durant or LeBron James? Now people are asking who would win, Michael Jordan or LeVar Ball. Think about that for a second. And I thought that was brilliant. Like he has got people literally discussing whether Michael Jordan could beat LeVar Ball one-on-one and then whether Michael Jordan with one leg could beat LeVar Ball one-on-one. Bomani Jones opened his radio show with it yesterday on ESPN Radio. I opened mine. And there's an audience for all of it. In other words, if Michael Jordan can't stop thinking about LeVar Ball, um, like it, 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 you know, acting like the media is the problem here seems a little silly to me because it's not only the media that pays attention to LeVar Ball. It's everybody, including uh, the man most people believe is the greatest basketball player of all time, a, a, an icon in this world. Um, you know, when I, and I've, I've made this point to a couple of people because there's this one guy, he's tweeted at me like maybe three times over the past three days. Every time about, I should, you know, why do I keep writing about LeVar Ball? Why do I keep talking about LeVar Ball? And so I clicked on his Twitter feed, right? I was like, who is this guy? Because he doesn't have an obvious name there. And his picture is a koala bear. So I'm just, I'm curious. His last 21 tweets were about LeVar Ball. That's the guy who says he's tired of LeVar Ball. You know, when I don't care about something, you know what I do? I ignore it. Like, I... I I, I recognize hockey as an amazing sport for some people. I don't I don't follow it particularly. I was I was uh, uh, somewhat interested when the Predators went to the Stanley Cup final just because they play in you know in, in Tennessee, um, which is where I work and where I've lived and where I was born. But I you know I, I think I know Pecorini now, but like I don't and, you know I don't really know much about anything. So you don't see me commenting on hockey ever tweeting about it, Facebook posting about it, because I don't care. You can care, but I don't care. And so, and I think that's probably normal human behavior. People tend to leave alone things that they don't care about. And the Kardashians are a great example of, of the opposite of this. Everybody says, oh, I don't want to hear anything about the Kardashians, but they keep talking about them. They keep tweeting about them. And LeVar Ball has entered that same universe you know, there are people who are fascinated by LeVar Ball. There are people who like LeVar Ball. Then there are people who hate LeVar Ball. But the one thing they all have in common is they, they, they pay attention to what he does. They comment on what he does. That LeVar Ball column I wrote on Friday night, and you know as well as I do, time to be posting columns hitting on a Friday night. That's not, that's not ideal time. We don't plan to publish columns on a Friday night. It's more of a Monday morning thing, a Wednesday afternoon thing. That column I wrote on LeVar Ball Friday night, I believe is the most retweeted column I've ever written. Now, now I, don't, I don't know about the most read or best, but I don't think I've ever written a column that has been retweeted more times than that LeVar Ball column. Like, so, like, stop paying attention to LeVar Ball? You stop paying attention to LeVar Ball. You know, when, when, you, when you guys stop paying attention to LeVar Ball, that's probably when we'll stop uh, paying attention to LeVar Ball. Because um, he has created... Like, content that all the metrics suggest people care about, 
almost every day for the past week. I mean, every day, if you turn on first take, they're talking about LeVar Ball. When you and I were at Top Golf last week, I made this comment to you or somebody we were with. You know, I, I don't usually sit in front of a television that long, you know, watching ESPN on a loop. But because we were at Top Golf, there's television screens everywhere, including like in the nets at the or behind the nets, you know, where we're hitting directly into. And every time you looked up, LeVar Ball or LaMelo Ball was on the, one of the screens. Every time. You know, I um, had a, a, a drink before, at the airport before I got on my flight with, with some coaches who were getting on, who were also taking a red eye home from Las Vegas. I sat down. You know what they wanted to talk about? LeVar Ball. These college basketball coaches. Division one coaches. Got nothing to do with California. Aren't recruiting any of the ball kids. When I sat down, they asked me about LeVar Ball. They made the comment every time I turn on the TV, LeVar Ball's there. You know, Adidas is releasing statements about LeVar Ball. Referee organizations releasing statements about LeVar Ball. Michael Jordan's talking about LeVar Ball. Shaquille O'Neal is rapping about LeVar Ball. So I just find it odd that people think the media is, is, is the ones who should stop paying attention to LeVar Ball. Like, we're all complicit in this. We're all paying attention to LeVar Ball. And I do think, because of what happened Friday, now the backlash is real, that there are genuine reasons to to dislike him I do think that took a turn uh, last Friday when he had the female official removed from the game and it it took a turn for the worse Uh, a lot of the backlash prior to that I thought was silly I sort of rolled my eyes at it he's the worst sports father in the world like get out of here that's that's stupid but um but what happened last Friday you know it, it it turns people against him and so I do think that's real but even those people are still clicking on everything we write about LeVar Ball, listening to everything we say about LeVar Ball. And so it is a, um, a fascinating glimpse into human behavior and, and, and the world in which we live in now. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, you're right, Norlander. I, I see the same tweets you see. But even those people can't stop themselves from talking about LeVar Ball. And, again, that, that means something. Yeah, and let's let's take listeners into uh, the Cashman Center last week um, to, to just give them a little bit better of an idea of, of what we were seeing and what was happening out in Las Vegas. This was not a typical trip to Las Vegas from a recruiting perspective, uh, covering the sport, talking with coaches. Now, what's interesting, and in, in, in talking with people that work with Adidas and Eeks, actually, to be honest, uh, fellow coaches, Plenty of whom I spoke with and cannot stand the guy. Um, they were wanting, some weren't even wanting, some were, uh, but to talk about him even in passing, uh, some of the coaches I spoke with, a, a few of them high profile major coaches, cannot stand uh, LeVar whatsoever. But he, he and his team completely overshadowed the, the week. And you're talking about Las Vegas where there are thousands of teams from the ages of you know 14 and up, 14U and up, um, that come and compete in a number of different tournaments at dozens of high schools all around the area. And we normally go, one, to talk with coaches and work on stuff that you'll obviously see at cbsports.com later this month. Uh, I work on a feature or two. Um, and we go and look to see about a few prospects, write a few stories, gather intel, and just get stuff that will build out toward the rest of the summer and into the fall. But because LeVar Ball is such a traveling spectacle and they're shooting a docu-series for Facebook, I don't know if they asked you, but I had to sign a disclaimer that basically that said they could use my face in this documentary whenever it airs. Right. I did and 
Yeah, and so you've got, you know, literally during timeouts, you've got cameramen and boom mics on the court. It was a bizarre, surreal scene. Uh, after, you know, w- going into this Wednesday night's game was like a whole crazy deal altogether with Zion and LaMelo and LaVar and the, and the crazy crowd and LeBron getting turned away. I mean, he could have really come in if he wanted to, but Adidas said basically, you got 13 people with you. We're basically at capacity here. It's going to be a madhouse. It'd be better if you probably just didn't go. Even after all that, the day after that, Thursday, I mean, there's 50, 60 people waiting to get a free selfie with LeVar after the game. It's basically like an ice cream stand line where there's going one, two, three, just going on down the line and on down the line. And you've got everyone from 11-year-old girls to 16-year-old boys to 34-year-old men with some sort of thing they want signed to take a selfie with, whatever, all wanting to get a piece of LeVar Ball. And to a certain degree, LaMelo who has like what 2.3 million Instagram followers or something outrageous like that and is this massive star despite the fact that by the way he is an awful quote I mean Lonzo was infamous for this and just kind of not really saying anything LaMelo granted he he turned 16 in about three weeks here um he's he, he could he's even less interesting when you talk to him uh even on or off the record I'd have no doubt he's got some great personality when he's around family and friends but I, at this point he, he's got this uh, I think a little bit of a shield around him because let's face it, when when Lavar Ball is your dad, Lonzo Ball is your big brother, and you've come up like this, uh, he's kind of just become uh, famous by proxy. And then when you add in the fact that he scored what 92 points in a game or whatever like that, he's got the funky Odell Beckham hair. It's it's kind of wild. So every game, you know, they had um, what were those things you were standing behind GP before you sat next to me, like those little metal barrier things, whatever. Like they had him around the court. Mm-hmm. Like you never see that kind of stuff. So essentially a fence. I mean, like essentially, yeah, essentially a fence around this one, this one court that they were playing on Friday night, which, by the way, until I guess maybe an hour before they were going to play their game, there was some speculation on the heels of LeVar and the female ref and the whole melodrama and that extenuating, you know, through the afternoon. No one was really sure that they were even going to play show up for the game, but they did and they played and they won. and They went on to the next day and all that. Um, so you had all of that. And then obviously LeVar, you know, lobbying to get the female official taken off the floor and replaced Adidas making the absolute wrong call and doing that. And by the way, this wasn't something that was decided in 45 seconds. They stood on the floor for more than 10 minutes. And this was an 8 a.m. GP, I've never gone to an 8 a.m. tip in Vegas for a game before I did for that. And thank God I did because it wound up being the single biggest event that happened in Vegas. I mean, this this changed um, the weekend, perhaps Adidas's relationship with the ball, certainly Adidas's relationship with Court Club Elite, which is the the officiating body that had been working them, with them for a decade. And by the way, that Court Club Elite group supplies hundreds of officials for this thing. So now Adidas going forward is going to have to get some other group to come in. It's it was it had serious news value. Uh, because of what LeVar had done, and a lot of it wasn't good. I mean, it was it, what he was doing was kind of despicable. Not even kind of, it was. I mean, you can't you can't be acting like this. It's it's disrespectful to women. Um, the the official in question had had no right to be treated like that. Um, I was also told uh, off record by someone with Court Club Elite that you know th- during Thursday's game, nothing really was reported off of Thursday's game with the, with the balls. This was after the Zion game and before. Uh, the game with the the incident with the female official. There was a young, 21, 22 year old official who's apparently a really good official, up and coming. Uh, and what happens with these games is you have everyone from you know low level college officials to to guys just getting out of college that want to get into the game. 
But this kid was just straight up intimidated to have to officiate one of these games by LeVar Ball. Now, that's probably an oversight by Court Club Elite to put him on the floor. But he was too – He the, what happens is they review every game. Um, and they, they watch the tape. And LeVar actually should have gotten another technical in that game but never did because the kid was, was just scared out of his mind to do so. Um, so it was – I mean, I've never seen anything like it. And and I think we'll probably have to see it again next season uh, if Adidas continues its relationship with the balls, which I expect to happen because at the end of the day, a lot of this happened because Adidas is probably trying to land Lonzo because Nike and Under Armour, from what we all know right now, that, that's not really going in that direction. Adidas has had a relationship with the balls for the past two years. I was kind of making my way to that point before, before I veered off. Um, you know, you interviewed LeVar two years ago. The circus wasn't there. LeVar was there last year at Adidas Super 64 Uprising Summer Championships. This what this didn't exist last year. It's totally changed. It's all because of LeVar Ball. And I wonder if they play in it again next year because LaMelo will be on the circuit one more season. What things will be different? Because I do think I do think there will be things that get put into place next season. I don't know what that'll be. I just don't think that the uh, structure of of Adidas, when you factor in the balls, is going to be the same next year as it was this year if, in fact, uh, the big baller brand plays in it next season. One more thing, and then we'll move on. Um, we open this by acknowledging that um, a lot of the feedback about LeVar Ball is like, I don't care about LeVar Ball. Stop talking about LeVar Ball. Stop writing about LeVar Ball. Like, honest to God, within within the 20 minutes we've been talking so far, I just got a, a, a random tweet from some lady. She says, what a joke. Who cares about LeVar Ball anyway? Again, you do. You do. You're the one tweeting about him. You know, and, and so the other comment that I've consistently heard since last Friday when I wrote that column was that I made too big of a deal about the sex of the official, that it doesn't matter whether she's a man or a woman. Which I, I think is ridiculous. The, the the sex of the official mattered. That she was a woman mattered. And like I wrote in the column, but um, didn't dive too deep into, but but I think I can now. Uh, the truth is, you can insist that LeVar Ball would have also asked for a male official to be removed from the game. But as far as I know, he never has done that. As far as I know, the first time he ever asked for an official to be removed from a game, mid-game, or else he's leaving was with a female official. And you can say that Adidas would have granted the wish no matter what, and again, perhaps you're right, but I have never seen a male official um, on the summer circuit be removed from a game mid-game, unless it was for injury or something like that. And you can say that LeVar Ball doesn't think any differently about male officials than he does women officials, but all the evidence suggests otherwise. Because here's the truth. Afterward, when given an opportunity to say whatever, whatever he wanted to say about this official, he chose the phrase, she needs to stay in her lane. And as far as I know, he's never used that phrase about any other person uh, on the planet outside of Christine Leahy, who is also a woman who works in a male-dominated environment, sports talk radio, television. And so uh, all of that can't be a coincidence. You know, when the barball decides to use that phrase to, de to describe this woman, and you recognize it's it's a phrase he's only ever used otherwise about women, never about a man. Never says LeBron James needs to stay in his lane or Shaquille O'Neal needs to stay in his lane or Michael Jordan needs to stay in his lane or Jay Billis or Stephen A. Smith or me or you or anybody. He said that phrase twice, both times about a woman. 
That's not a coincidence. And that's why the sex of the official absolutely matters because uh, it, it played a role here. And Adidas, um, I, I'm glad that they, they didn't say I'm sorry. I don't think there's an apology in the statement, but I'm glad that they did acknowledge that they were wrong. And, I, and I'll give them credit. Took too many days. We were told it was going to come on Friday. It came Monday, but I agree with you. But it just—they also mishandled this badly. Yeah, they could have because what happens is you—that thing happens on Friday. You release the, the statement on Friday. It's so—it's a Friday story. We're done. We're basically done with it by Monday. For them to to them release the statement on Monday morning, well, then guess what? It's a whole new batch of headlines, whole new batch of stories. Um, yeah, they turned. You know, that's that's PR one hundred and one. Never turn a one day story into a two day story or three day story. And so, yeah, they messed up here, but I will give them credit. Not for the way they handled it. I thought that was embarrassing and, and shameful. Um, but when you write a column like that, I mean, you were there. I read a column like that. It starts getting retweeted like crazy. I'm still in a building surrounded by Adidas officials, some of whom we're friendly with. It's not, it's not the most comfortable thing in the world. It's not like you're at a basketball game, you write a column, and then the ba- but then everybody's gone. Like, you write that column hit publish, yeah. tweet it, and I'm standing there next to Adidas officials. And I will give them credit because there's a lot of ways to handle that. Obviously, it wasn't a good look for them. The column doesn't help them in any way. The column brings more attention to to, to what they did. And they were all cool. Like they knew. Like I, you know, you, I think you were there late Friday night. We bumped into an Adidas official who I'll let him, right. I'll let him remain, uh, remain nameless. But um, – you know, he's somebody we're friendly with. And I, I walked right up to him and said, hey, I know I didn't do you any favors, but like felt like I had to, had to write what I had to write. And he acknowledged. He's like, we messed up, you know, and he was cool. I, I, my only point being that they didn't try to argue this one, really. Like, well, you know, what you don't understand is, I mean, I, I think there might have been some of that initially. But but by the time a few hours had passed after my column had been posted, uh, they weren't arguing with me. Sometimes you write a column like that and people want to argue with you. Well, what you don't get is, or you don't understand is, here they were like, you know what, we effed up, and uh, and, and and you know we'll, we'll we'll try to make it right, and uh, I, I respect that that they were cool in a situation where not everybody would have been cool, and so um, it was just a wild a wild day, and it's you know again, Lavar Ball has been in the headlines literally every day since. I did an interview in the Philippines last yesterday about Lavar Ball. And shout out to the Philippines. Shout out to the Philippines, obviously. Shout out to Devin Downey. Shout out to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry MF and Teagle. Um, I was scheduled to go on the Philippines, CNN Philippines, and uh, they wanted to talk about Mayweather McGregor. Not sure why they wanted to talk to me about Mayweather McGregor. I, I'm not a boxing writer as much as I'm, I'm a boxing fan, but whatever. I'm happy to talk about it. I talk about it all the time on radio anyway. And I get a note the night before, an email, and they said, hey, do you mind if we scrap Mayweather McGregor and just talk to you about LeVar Ball? So, like, there's just more evidence that there is an audience for this. Whether you like it or not, whether you like LeVar Ball or not, there's an audience for this. The Philippines wanted to talk to me about the the biggest boxing spectacle in the history of the sport, but then said, no, LeVar Ball's bigger. And the truth is, LeVar Ball was bigger, at least on that particular, uh, particular day. Let's move on. Mitchell Robinson, I think last time we had spoken on this podcast, he... No, it had not become official yet because that was last Friday. We spoke last Thursday in Vegas. On the following day, that Friday, I reported that Mitchell Robinson had <laughs> abandoned his dorm at, at Western Kentucky. For people unfamiliar, he's a top 10 national recruit, uh, signed with Western Kentucky um, after Rick Stansbury had hired his godfather, uh, Shaman Williams. Shaman left the Western Kentucky staff in June, which obviously 
put into question whether Mitchell Robinson would follow through and actually enroll, but he did. He enrolled for summer school, was working out with the team. By all accounts, was like fine, going to classes and working out and had not been a problem. And then they had a, a, a workout schedule for like last Wednesday or Thursday. He just didn't show up. So then they, you know, they text him, call him, no answer, no return. And then they go to his room and it's like, it's not only is he not there, like nothing's there. You know, uh, the quote I was given was like, it had been completely cleaned out. And so then, hilariously, Rick Stansbury announced on Monday, I guess it was, that he was suspending Mitchell Robinson. Amazing move. <laughs> I loved it. Amazing. He like, uh, like, yo, he, you realize he like left like three days ago, but whatever. So Mitchell Robinson was suspended on Monday and then um, reported last night that he has been granted a release um, to leave Western Kentucky. Now, my understanding is he would need an unusual waiver to be able to play college ba- Division One basketball this season because he was enrolled in school and he did practice with the team. Had he not done those things, um, he could have theoretically enrolled in another school and been, been playing some, for somebody this year. Now he would have to enroll, apply for a waiver, and I don't see any scenario under while recognizing the NCAA is wildly unpredictable, uh, but and 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 wildly inconsistent. I don't see how you could rationalize giving him a waiver to play this year. Like, I, I wouldn't. Like, yo, man, like, this isn't a deal. Like, there's the kid who was signed with Ohio State, and, you know, they fired Thad Mata in June. Yeah, I think I'm going to – we don't have that yet. I might actually – I'm thinking out loud here. I might do a quick hit on that today. Yeah, and um, and so, like, he was like, well, wow. You know, he was already enrolled, and they fired his coach. And he was like, well, I don't want to go to Ohio State now. And I think now he's enrolled at NC State. And he's applying for a waiver. I would grant that one. I would grant that one because it is customary these days in college basketball for kids to be released from letters of intent when there's a coaching change if they want. And that's really all this is. It was just a later in the calendar coaching change. Under normal circumstances, there's a coaching change. You would not have been enrolled in school yet. He was enrolled for summer session, I believe. And so technically he needs the waiver. If I'm the NCAA, they should grant it. Uh, I would grant it. If they do not grant it, I will criticize them for it. Um, but this is different. There's no coaching change. Um, you know, you enrolled knowing exactly what you were getting into. Rick Stansberry was your coach. Your campus was in Bowling Green. Your league was Conference USA. Your godfather was no longer on staff. You still enrolled. Now, if you change your mind two weeks later, well, that's on you. So I would not grant the waiver. So he can go overseas and play if there's a market for him to do that. I believe he could go to a junior college and play immediately, or he could just like train for the next year and enter the 2018 NBA draft because he does project as a lottery pick. Um, but it's just a wild story. I don't know of another top 10 player who has ever withdrawn from a school after enrolling before the fall semester even starts, before his college basketball season even begins. This is a, I, I think this might be, a, I, obviously I'm not a historian, could have happened in the 50s, but I don't remember anything like this. Yeah, I'm Mitch Robinson's a really good player. I'm not as high on him as others, although he's absolutely uh, going to be. I would have to figure a top twenty pick if he's if he, I'll put it this way: if between now and the time that he gets drafted, whether that's in twenty eighteen or twenty nineteen, um, if if he never plays, <laughs> he's going to be a top twenty pick. That's a lock. Um, I don't see how he gets eligible to play this season. It's a really tough precedent to set, uh, to set because it, because he, he put in uh, the time with summer courses and had begun uh, working out and practicing with the team. 
you can't have guys suddenly bail on that, think that they can just transfer somewhere else. So I agree with you. Uh, Mitchell Robinson playing Division One college basketball this season does not seem likely, although who knows? Maybe there's an element to uh, a possible waiver he could file where the NCAA would side with him. We'll see. With that being said, uh, playing professionally somewhere overseas, perhaps that's going to be an option. Um, the, the Mitchell Robinson story was always interesting because – you know, Rick Stansbury was bringing in a five-star recruit to a Conference USA school, and we had not seen the likes of that since Calipari was really rolling at Memphis. In terms of shout prospect, to, shout to Tyreek Evans, 2009. Exactly on the on the level that Robinson is, we had not seen a player in that conference since Cal was uh, was killing it on Beale Street. Actually, so, actually, that's not true. Okay, who am I? Who am I overseeing? Will Barton was top 10 yeah, yeah he was. i think i think he was a top yeah 10 was he top 10 top yeah. 10 prospect yeah. okay um then apologies to uh to josh pastner and, um, and apologies to will barton and apologies of course to antonio barton as well yeah no doubt um but and now this takes by the way uh, the western kentucky situation is weird random i mean stands like stands lost all three of his assistants one of whom is mitchell robinson's mm-hmm. godfather um so that program goes from CUSA favorites uh, to something of a of a mystery at this point. Um, they're still super talented. I, they're I, still going to be. Yeah, that's what I'm getting. I mean, relative still, relative to league affiliation. Yeah, they should still be good. Um, but Robinson would have been the overwhelming uh, preseason pick for player of the year in that league, I think. Um, and now we'll we'll see. Um, I'll say scuttlebutt in college basketball circles has Robinson being. An LSU lean if he were to transfer and go anywhere else. Um, we'll see if that actually happens, if he wants to stay in Division One, Sit out this year, play next year. Perhaps that's a possibility. Um, but, yeah, it's a, it's a weird, funky story. And, obviously, the fact that Stansbury's lost three assistant coaches and his best prospect at Western Kentucky um, doesn't, doesn't lend itself to, to necessarily great things going forward. But never count out Stansbury, obviously. The, the man has been... <laughs> quite prodigious on the on the recruiting trail over the years but uh this is i actually think like this is strictly just a very diehard college basketball story in terms of like if you follow the sport you know about it otherwise maybe not so much if something like this happened at a top 25 program it'd be just kind of fairly nuts um you almost never see that kind of thing so it's it's kind of weird to see this happen at western kentucky but then again maybe it could have only happened at western kentucky right. well the, the only thing i can think of that's comparable and it's not apples to apples but uh Jalen Kendrick was a McDonald's All-American, enrolled at Memphis, and was dismissed from the team before ever playing a game. Um, but that, you know, but that wasn't like he didn't leave. He he, like they had to dismiss him because he kept fighting everybody. <laughs> he like, he he could he couldn't go to practice without fighting somebody. And so, uh, uh, but I guess that's similar. But this is this is a, a whole nother level. Uh, let's wrap with the interesting story out of Dayton. Uh, this weekend, I just posted the story over at CBSSports.com. Sam Miller, who you probably don't know, he only averaged about five points per game at Dayton last year, but he's a, a forward, going to be going into his junior season if he's allowed to stay on the team. And who knows at this point, because he's obviously not very good. And boy, does he have some amazing video attached to his name now. So he's 20 years old, which means he's not supposed to be in a bar, but he was and whatever. I was in a bar when I was 22. I'm not judging. But he drinking a little too much. And he gets um, wildly intoxicated. Bartender cuts him off as they sometimes do. But Norlander, you ever been cut off at a bar? And uh, no, not even remote. GP, you know me. I'm not even really much of a drinker to begin with. Not even 
remotely close. I've been with people who've been cut off, uh, but and I've actually I've bartended a couple times in my life. I've had to cut people off. Never even come close to. You know what? This is this off. might surprise people. I don't believe I've ever been cut off at a bar. Well, that's about uh, maybe thirty times less than, than what should have happened then, because that <laughs> is actually genuinely surprising to me. Yeah, I don't. But I don't ever remember a time where somebody said, uh, "Sir, we can't give you another drink." Um, so maybe I'm more composed than than uh, than I, I think I am. Maybe, <laughs> but probably not. I don't know why that's true. I just I've never been a. Or can you not hold on though? It's possible See, I can't remember. Yeah, that's. I think this is the actual reality of the situation. You just can't remember getting cut off. I can't, that might be true. Either way, I have no memory. I'll just phrase it that way. I have no memory of ever being cut off at a bar. So anyway, Sam Miller gets cut off at the bar, right? And uh, he's furious. And so he, uh, you know, he he glances at the bar, notices that there's a bunch of glasses on the bar because it's a bar. And decides the best thing he should do right now is not call the glasses off. So he does that. They shatter. Uh, bartender's like, what are you doing? She's a woman, by the way. He pushes her. Now a security guard's involved. He like tries to fight the security guard. They get him outside, hold him down. Police come. Police get there. He resists arrest. Kicks the cop car. That's not good. They take him to jail. Because that's where you're going when you kick a cop car. Put him in a holding cell. He decides to take a piss in the holding cell. <laughs> In the corner. Meantime, they bring another man in uh, because he just got busted for DUI or something similar. And they're going to throw him in the holding cell as well. Well, this man says, listen, I'm not getting in that holding cell with this dude. It's like he just peed in the holding cell. They said, we've disinfected it. We cleaned it up. Get in the holding cell. So he gets in the holding cell. You see the security video that's been released. Dude's just sort of sitting in the corner, like seemingly minding his own business. We don't have any audio, but he doesn't seem to be doing anything aggressive. Uh, Sam Miller, though, uh, walks over to him and he's standing over him and apparently slaps the man, at which point this man gets up and beats the crap out of Sam Miller. (laughs) And so there's video of him uh, only wearing his boxers, getting his head smashed in by this uh, fellow inmate. And the whole thing is just incredible. Like like when you get kicked out of a bar, break glasses, push a bartender and get arrested like that's supposed to be the worst part of the story. But then there's a second part of the story that involves you getting getting the crap kicked out of you in a jail cell in a fight that you apparently started. Like how bad? Like who had a worse weekend than that guy? Uh, no one in the public sports realm, I don't think. And now, I mean, listen, it's it's just absolutely ridiculous video and an insane story. I wonder. It, it kind of makes sense for Anthony Grant to kick him off the team. I mean, you do the right. You do this, take it to this extreme, GP. Oh, like if you're a first ten, uh, first team Atlantic Ten player, then uh, you know I deal with it. You know, we 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 uh, discipline you internally. Uh, but this guy, Sam Miller, yeah, man, he can't be on my team. I, I mean, ma- listen, uh, <laughs> it can. Who knows if he's ever done anything remotely uh, bad? You know, during Archie Miller's time or anything, if he ever got into trouble. But obviously. Now you've got a new coaching staff and a new era there. Um, obviously, if you're Anthony Grant, you've got to send a serious message. Maybe it's just in a prolonged, extended. I don't want to hear indefinite suspension. Like, suspend this dude into February if you're not going to kick him off the team. It's just like the the story's insane. Uh, the way he acted was so beyond inappropriate. Uh, and there's a difference between like, oh, we had a wild night at a bar and I got silly and I broke all the glasses and they like kicked me out of the bar. Like, OK, you're 20. You're stupid. It's the beginning of August, end of July. OK, you deal with it internally and 
maybe you face, you know, internal punishments in the short term in the summer. But when you're getting arrested, beating up a cop car, there's video of you, you know, then getting your just your ass killed <laughs> in the cell. I, I just I think at that point, GP, it's it's such it's such a PR nightmare. Um, and it's so over the top that it warrants getting kicked off the team. I'm not saying that it will or should happen. I'm just saying that it wouldn't surprise me if Anthony Grant decided to go that way. But if you if you're gonna, we're recording this before any announcement has kind of come down from Dayton. So if if there's if an indefinite suspension is the first move, I, I just think that's that's kind of weak. Review everything, make a decision, make a call on it. But that is a uh, man. This is I tell you as we wrap up here. This is the time of year, August and into September. It's the slowest point of the college basketball calendar, but it's the one time of the year that the coaches have the most worry because it's either end of the summer, so they're not around their guys, they don't know what they're going to do, or they're just getting into school, it's just starting, they go to a, a frat party or two, and you never know what might happen, and the next thing you know, someone's getting arrested, or, or even worse, God knows what. Um, don't get me wrong, coaches worry about their guys year-round, but it's just it's at this point where they're just like, get me to the start of practice where we have some sort of schedule, we have some sort of regimen. This is the one time after summer school before the season gets going where you kind of see a little bit of a flare of these kind of stories just in terms of players getting in trouble off the floor. Um, so Miller at Dayton's the first, and it wouldn't surprise me if he had one or two before we got to October. And I know it sounds like um, I would treat players differently when I say I would kick Sam Miller off the team, but if he was a first team, first team Atlantic 10 player, I wouldn't. And the reason it sounds that way is because um, I would I would tweet I would treat players differently. Um, I, I won't I don't keep a scrub on my team who acts like this. But a star, we'll figure out a way to deal with it. Same way Kansas is going to figure out a way to deal with Dedrick Lawson. Like he's acting like an idiot there. They sus- yeah, yeah. you know Great they, point. they suspend him from his uh, trip to Italy, but like he'll be in school in fall and and working out with the team. And as long as he doesn't like rob a bank uh, between now and the start of the 2018-19 season. Uh, he'll be your starting power forward for the Kansas uh, Jayhawks. That's because he's really, really good. Remember, you can subscribe to the Iron College Basketball Podcast via iTunes. So please do that. Thank you all for listening. And we'll be back next week. Till then, take care.